Lecture 9, Part 3 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 9 On Penal Evil or Punishment Part 3 To sum up briefly what we have thus far said, in the doctrine of St. Thomas, the rewards agree with the will because they are the good of which we are in search but punishments disagree with the will because they are the evils against which the will revolts sin comes from the will the punishment rebounds against the will because of sin hence st thomas argues that sin must be an incomparably greater evil than punishment we endure a less evil to prevent a greater evil. We suffer the amputation of a limb to save the body. But God, who is the provident protector of all good, sends punishment in his wisdom to prevent the growth of the greater evil of sin, which is destructive of all good. Sin is evil by its native malice. Punishment is but the consequence of that evil and not merely that sensible punishment which deprives the man of corporal good, but that spiritual punishment which is the privation of light, of order, of grace, of beauty, and of glory. It is not punishment that makes us evil, but the sin that deserves punishment. For as the will is good through the good use of its gifts, it is made evil through the evil use of them, and punishment deprives us of the good things that we have used in an evil manner. Man is the author of sin. God is the ordainer of punishment. Punishment is either the privation of good that he has given or of good that he has promised, whether it be created good such as we have by nature or uncreated good such as the beatific vision but the whole malice of evil is in the sin not in the punishment because sin is opposed to the uncreated good that is to god himself it is also opposed to the fulfilment of the divine will that is to the whole rule of good and it is likewise opposed to the love of god to that divine love whereby we love the divine good both for its own sake and for the sake of becoming partakers of that good sin is therefore opposed to all good and to the whole order of good and when we have thus far penetrated its character it becomes clear and evident that sin is not because of punishment but that punishment is because of sin but besides the general opposition in which all sin whatsoever is opposed to the universal good each sin in particular is opposed to some particular good each vice is opposed to some special virtue punishment is therefore proportioned to the order kind and degree of good which each special vice or sin opposes and contradicts the proportion is measured as st thomas observes by the nearer or remoter distance of the good that is contradicted or rejected 
from our supreme good and final end an end which we made not for ourselves but for which god has made us the nearer a good is to god the greater the good is and the privation of it is the greater evil and the greater punishment but the good things in man that are nearest to god are the graces and virtues and especially the grace and virtue of purity and charity by which we most resemble god the next goods to these are the right order and disposition of the mind especially with respect to faith and the due subjection of our inferior powers to faith and right reason after the health of the soul comes the health of the body and its soundness as the responsive instrument of the soul finally as being of the lowest degree and least value come those external goods of the world that are given for the service of the virtues from this essential order and gradation of good it follows that of all punishments the greatest that can befall a man is to be excluded and cast off from his eternal beatitude the next after this is the loss of grace and virtue and consequently of the due and perfect operation of his powers after this comes the loss of the order of the natural powers of his soul and their consequent weakness for the right and proper performance of their offices and duties then come the corporal evils and privations of the body last and least of all is placed the loss of the exterior goods of this world it would be natural to expect that men would most dread the greatest punishments and would look upon the loss of their greatest good with the utmost horror this would undoubtedly be the case if all men lived the life of faith and charity but this is far from being the case most men live a natural rather than a supernatural life and are not even faithful to their nature and reason but the less a man has of moral good the more blind he is to the greater good to that good for which he is made this blindness comes from his infidelity to the light of his mind and to the admonitions of his conscience but from this spiritual blindness the human will is often more reluctant to give up the inferior things of this world and of the body than to surrender the greatest good of the soul a large number especially of those who live amidst a corrupting civilization know and care a vast deal more about sensual and temporal good than about intellectual moral spiritual and divine good and value them more in this blind condition the soul sees all things perversely and puts the whole order of good upside down the victims of this blindness look upon corporal privations as more grievous than spiritual privations and on corporal punishments as more calamitous than spiritual punishments to them the greatest of punishments is the outward humiliation of their reputation the suffering of corporal afflictions 
or the loss of temporal things. As to disorder of soul, the loss of spiritual light, the departure of grace, or the lowering of virtue, they are of small account to those who rarely think of God or of the soul. These are many men who will not have their low ways of thinking and judging interfered with by sage or saint or by God himself. To put before their minds the eternal order of things, to show in that order how infinitely superior the divine good is above human good, and how infinitely greater eternal punishment is than temporal punishment, is to insult their pride as well as their life. The notion of denying the body to give freedom and elevation to the soul is to them an offense and an absurdity. Their habits have perverted their reason. These perverted views of the order of good explain how men become scandalized with god as though his punishments were unequal they see the wicked man in vigor of body and in the full flow of temporal prosperity whilst just men often suffer and are low in earthly advantages and they are tempted to conclude that the providence of god is at fault and that he does not punish iniquity but to the children of light these things are neither a wonder nor a scandal. They know that the body is for the soul, that exterior is for the sake of interior good, and that inferior things are only good in so far as they help us to obtain interior and superior good. But whatever of inferior good they may have in themselves, when they hinder our superior good, they become blocks in the way, snares to the feet, and obstacles to our greater good, and therefore a cause of evil to us. The divine disposer of all things knows both our strength and weakness. He knows what will help, and he knows what will hinder the advancement of each child of Adam towards his eternal good. He gives to the just man the temporal goods that will help him in virtue and will turn to his everlasting advantage. He takes them away where he sees they will turn him to evil or that he will turn them to evil or will keep him from better things or perhaps deprive him of his eternal happiness. This privation of temporal good is directed to eternal good. To the just man, therefore, these privations are no punishment, especially as he accepts them with good will as being ordained by the providence of God. But to leave these corporal and temporal goods to the unjust man is a heavy punishment, not because they are against his present will, but because they will lead to greater sins and will draw him further from God, which will bring him by his own acts into greater punishments against his will. He is therefore less under the providence of God than the just man, who for his spiritual and eternal good is deprived of those corporal and temporal things. But if the unjust man is deprived of temporal goods or suffers in body, 
it is a severe punishment to him he not only suffers against his will but as these are his supreme goods he has nothing better upon which to rest his soul the just man is not punished because he suffers privation in submission to the will of god which he makes his own but the unjust man suffers either for his past or for his present sins and therefore his sufferings are a punishment although that punishment may not heal him if however he is left in prosperity these words of wisdom find their truth in him the creatures of god are turned into an abomination and a temptation and a snare to the feet of the unwise according to the measure of the sin shall be the measure of the stripes trials sent to wean the soul from temptation to strengthen her in patience to detach her from self-love and to purify her for greater gifts when generous souls accept them with humility and thankfulness are not punishments but loving providences real punishments are proportioned to the kind of sin and the degree of malice in the will a sin that turns the soul away from god as her supreme end is mortal a sin that does not turn the soul away from god as her supreme end is venial the punishment of the first is the privation of her final end and of her spiritual life the punishment of the second is a certain retardation of the soul's liberty in approaching to her divine good and a certain slackening of the force of spiritual life according to the nature and frequency of the sin venial sins make our progress more difficult and those who love god know what a punishment that is some punishments are ordained for the amendment of sinners others for the expiation and purgation of souls repentant of their sins be it in this world or in the next for after sin is forgiven an expiation remains an expiation that draws its efficacy from its union with the one the only the divine expiation that was offered on the cross but the punishment of sinners who turn from god and never turn to him again who surrender the life of the soul to the creature and never return to the life of justice that awful punishment is as everlasting as the soul not because god delights in punishment but because he is just to the eternal order of things just to both evil and to good as in human justice the greater criminals are exiled from society both to deter from like evils and to keep society pure so in the divine justice some are separated for ever from god and from the just because it is just and is due to the nature of things and is inevitable also that the fear of like evils may keep other men from evil and because after the probation of the just is ended society must then keep pure and holy for evermore 
it is therefore said of the heavenly jerusalem there shall not enter into it anything defiled or that worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they that are written in the book of the lamb but punishment is more than a privation it is also an infliction as the sinner not only turns from the creator but turns to the creature as he not only deserts god but makes the creature his chief good he not only loses what he has abandoned but is punished by the creature for whose sake he has quitted the law of his creator as he has brought the creature to ignominy by his abuse of it the creature itself must become his punishment who fears to lose what he does not value who fears to lose what he so readily abandons can he who neither thinks nor cares for his eternal happiness be kept from evil through the fear of its loss there must be other punishments therefore such as the sinner will fear punishments of sense from the creature such as he cannot help understanding and fearing even in the midst of his sins as there is a good due even from the creation to those who use it well and wisely there is an evil due from the creation to those who use it wrongfully and foolishly and as god has made it just by his promise that they who love him above all things and devote themselves to him shall find their perfection and joy in him he has equally ordained that they who love the creature rather than the creator shall find their punishment from the creature having given their soul to the things beneath her and inferior to her against all order reason and nature these same things shall become to her the active cause of suffering and misery hence in the sacred scriptures god so often threatens sinners not only with the loss of heaven but also with grievous sufferings from his creatures changed through their folly into the instruments of his sovereign will and justice he will sharpen his severe wrath as a sword and the world shall fight with him against the foolish as the imagination is a great element in seducing souls to evil it is a great element in the punishment of evil think what it is for a soul to be stripped of all earthly surroundings to be detached from the mortal body and given up to the disorder and confusion wrought upon her in the course of an evil life as that great disciple of the apostolic men st irenaeus says they held themselves aloof from the paternal light and as they had power over their wills they overpassed the law of liberty with iniquity god has therefore prepared a dwelling for them that suits their dispositions as they despise the light he has prepared darkness for them with befitting punishment memory the sense of loss and the baleful sufferings within and around their spirits must therefore be to them in place of light there can be nothing earthly and nothing heavenly to take the soul from off herself 
there is no justice to keep the powers of the soul in order no charity to keep them in unity no good to keep them in pleasant exercise the defection of evil has loosened the whole spirit into disorder and confusion the capacity for infinite good is vacant of good the living subject is void even of the hope of her living object the fallen spirit has not even the light that illuminates the eternal good but only the reason why both the light and the good are lost to her forever every disordered and distracted faculty of that spirit wants its good object the soul is therefore dark loveless dreary full of fears and alarms and the inextinguishable conflagration from the interminable disorders of the unchangeable evils among which that soul is placed and of which she makes a part destroys without destroying because those spirits are immortal in immortal pains the worm of conscience dieth not the fire is not extinguished but what gives to the worm its sting and to the fire its force is the evil in the soul that rejects the everlasting good for which she was created the justice that shone in her mind she would not have in her heart and behold that justice is with her for ever there is an admirable communion of all holy spirits and souls who are united in god for their mutual good and happiness and there is a portentous communion of all evil spirits and souls who work together to mutual punishment and misery the good help each other in many ways invisibly as well as visibly this is one of the grand mysteries of faith the malignant torment each other in many ways this is one of the great mysteries of evil the general tradition of mankind from its earliest records accords with the sacred scriptures in the belief which from genesis to the apocalypse exhibit the good angels ministering to men of good will whilst the apostate angels tempt men to evil strive for their ruin and insult them in their misery the spiritual world is close upon us and only separated from our vision by the earthly things that veil our spirits when eliseus obtained by his prayers the opening of the eyes of his servant he saw the armies of the lord encamped around them more numerous and mighty than the army of assyria and st paul tells the faithful not that you will come but that you are come to the company of many thousands of angels and to the spirits of the just made perfect on the other hand st peter warns us be sober and watch because your adversary the devil like a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour whom resist ye strong in faith knowing that the same affliction befalls your brethren who are in the world everywhere the scriptures show that the fallen angels are the seducers of mankind it is accordant therefore with eternal justice 
and ordained in the divine decrees that the just who have accepted the help and guidance of holy angels and the examples of the saints should enter their heavenly society and that the wicked who have followed the evil angels in their seductions should follow them to their punishment many persons devote themselves in these educated days to the wonders beauties and sublimities of nature but much of this study and contemplation is unreasonable because they think not of the divine author of these wonderful works but when they turn to works of art they act reasonably by going to the mind of the artist and think as much of him as of his work what a creation of beauty and sublimity they would find if they devoted themselves to the wonderful works of god's mercy but like all the profounder truths they are paradoxes to the natural man however clear to the spiritual man for example were it not for the pains trials and afflictions of this mortal life that force men back upon themselves pierce them with sorrow soften them to the sense of their inward wants and compel them to ascend to god for relief how small would be the number to escape the final evil but when the divine mercy makes the too attractive flower of this life to die among the thorns and the spirit shrinks home to herself and there finds god awaiting her return the first fear of his presence changes to attraction and the eternal beauties begin to dawn upon her sufferings and sorrows are the medicines of the soul sharp afflictions are the surgical remedies cutting out the gangrene of pride and cleansing away the humours of self-love the sufferings of souls are chiefly the result of evil habits either conscious or unconscious to the sufferer often indeed these habits are unconscious lying deep and hidden from sight for want of that humility that brings them to self-knowledge and secures their departure for self-love is the root and cause of all spiritual maladies it weakens and inflames the soul making her keenly sensitive to the suffering of nature if observes the eminent writer whom we are quoting in this and subsequent paragraphs you inflict an equal amount of suffering on two persons one of whom has ten degrees of self-love and the other ten degrees of the love of god and if you multiply the ten degrees of weakness by the ten degrees of strength you will find that the one who has ten degrees of self-love will suffer a hundred times more than the one who has the ten degrees of the love of god this is no theory but the experience of those who have the guidance of souls as pain is providentially ordained to enforce attention to the wounds and maladies of the body and to compel us to seek their cure so the pains of conscience warn us of the presence of evil in the soul 
and enforce self-examination conversion and repentance conscience warns the will before the act to deter us from evil acts and after the evil act is done it inflicts trouble and distress god hath ordained says saint augustine that every disorderly soul should be her own executioner whilst the wounded body suffers pain there is yet hope the vital elements are striving to restore the injured part to life and soundness if the conscience ceases to inflict pain on the wounded soul the evil has hardened and grown inveterate there is loss of sensibility to evil paralysis of spirit and the numbness of death the man is tranquil says saint isidore from ignorance of himself and insolent from ignorance of god the souls of just men suffer in their season but with incalculable profit to themselves how different in kind and remote in spirit are the sufferings of the just from those of the unjust they suffer like holy job in hope in an elevated spirit and for their greater purification they suffer but to gain a greater abstraction from selfish weakness to make a nobler surrender of themselves to god to the deepening of their faith to a more invigorating generosity to the deepening of self-knowledge and humility and to the drawing with intenser affection towards that supreme good in whom all sufferings find an end the principle of the commutation of forces is far from being limited to material things because all activity conveyed into material things has its origin in spiritual powers from invisible things all things visible were made holy souls have the power of quietly transforming inflicted sufferings into sanctity this is the mystery of the cross there are even causes of suffering and of great suffering to pure and humble souls that the sensual and proud cannot understand they suffer at the spectacle of sins in a way that the lovers of god can alone understand and their sufferings as well as prayers are expiatory offerings for the conversion of sinners they suffer from the sight of their own weakness they suffer from delay of the better things that make them perfect they suffer from every cloud that comes between their spirit and the view of god they suffer from the hope delayed of the eternal vision they suffer as none but they can understand from the strain upon their nature through the expanding influence of the fire of divine charity their sufferings arise from no pain of evil troubling their peace and rest within but from the pains of divine love working in a soul still imprisoned and confined by the earthly body how can any one say that the just and the unjust suffer alike the just soul suffers from external evils only and suffers them in peace and charity 
whilst the unjust soul suffers not only from external evils but much more from internal evils and suffers with misery the just soul suffers with hope and resignation looking to the speedy end of all suffering the unjust soul suffers fruitlessly and hopelessly suffers unhappily and unresignedly seeing no termination to suffering unless god grant the grace of conversion the just soul suffers in god and in the upholding strength of god the unjust soul suffers in herself having no spiritual strength in the weakness of wounded pride and with the self-love that sharpens sensibility to suffering the just soul is conscious of the secret benedictions which god conceals in her sufferings detaching her from self and drawing her affections from things perishable to things imperishable the unjust soul has all her trials aggravated from the bitter root of evil within her with fears in the imagination and forebodings of a dreadful future the just soul looks from the centre of her life into the sure light of god and muses on the divine promise i am with thee in thy troubles i will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me but the wicked man is proud all his days the sound of dread is always in his ears and when there is peace he always expecteth treason such says st gregory on the text are the suspicions and terrors of guilty consciences what is music to the ears of the just is to them the discordant sounding of evil they fear when no one pursueth the falling leaf or the murmuring stream may inspire them with alarm the just man is in peace whilst the conscience of the wicked will not leave him in security the very walls that hide him seem to know his secret though no one shares his secret yet were he buried in a tomb of the desert his conscience gives him no rest from fear the soul that loves god has only reverential fears she has but little delight in this world because her heart is with her treasure but the unjust man is at war with his better nature and with the nobler good intended for him he has no delight beyond this world and every attack of disease every touch of calamity brings the end of life in view with alarm with the anticipated sense of loss with the bitings of remorse with memories too bitter to dwell upon and with servile fears invisible powers strange though obscure mysteries are about the dying man whose hopes are left with his body in the grave in a word to evil men all the evils of this life are pure evils whilst to the man of good will they are changed by their contact with his good will into a hundredfold of good to the man of grace and good will therefore the psalmist sings with confidence that he is protected by god he will overshadow thee with his shoulders 
and under his wings thou shalt trust his truth shall compass thee with a shield thou shalt not be afraid of the terror of the night of the arrow that flieth about in the day of the business that walketh in the dark of invasion or of the noonday devil a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand but these evils shall not come nigh to thee but thou shalt consider with thine eyes and shalt see the reward of the wicked end of lecture nine part three